but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here on the 4th of October. How are you guys doing today here? Uh, hopefully better than the Vikings because, man, was that an ugly, ugly game yesterday afternoon. And we're going to break it all down right here, starting off with the Vikings here. Uh, biggest thing we talked about on Friday, we talked about that this was a must-win game. We said that this was a game where, hey, they really needed to come out. They had a chance to win. Like, they, were, they weren't expected to lose, or at least... It was a kind of a split game. Like, they weren't overwhelmingly expected to lose that game. And they had a good chance to come out and win the game. We talked about how important it was on Friday. Go back and listen to Friday's podcast where we talk about it was really important for them to win because going 2-2 two and two is a lot better than going 3-3. Three and three. We talked about, or 1-3. and three. Going 2-2 two and two is a lot better than going 1-3. and three. Again, each time Zimmers made the postseason, they've been 2-2. Two and two. They've never made the postseason with a worse record than 2-2. Two and two. And, again, it's just because it's so much harder when you dig yourselves in a hole early in the season. You look at the Minnesota Twins. They dug themselves a hole in the first month. It was impossible for them to get out of. Football, it's a little bit easier, but it's also harder because you play less games. So every game means more. When you go, when you start 1-3, and three, it's bad. When you go 1-3 and three, at any point in the season, it's not great. But to start 1-3... and three, is not good. It is, I mean, obviously, like it's not good from your one and three, but it's not good in terms of your perspective chance to make the playoffs because your schedule doesn't get dramatically easier by any stretch of the imagination. Now, in the next couple weeks, you still have a good chance to go three and three. We'll get into that in a second. But the biggest thing is you went one and three now in your first four games. The pressure is on from this point out. There's no, hey, well, the pressure's off. Nobody's expecting you to do anything. People still are expecting you to do things because. If they don't make the playoffs this year, Zimmer is gone. Spielman could even be gone. The whole roster could be flipped on its head because you bring in a new GM, they might they might just want to keep things going and try and uh, work on it and try and develop it from there, or they might just want to take a sledgehammer and destroy the whole thing. So this is really important for how the Vikings season is going forward. This game was a must win, and they lost. And not only did they lost, they played an ugly ugly game. I know that they were in a position to win the game by the end, but we'll talk a little bit why that's kind of misleading, the score just being 14-7. to But before we do that, before we talk about this game, let's just do a stock up, stock down here, as we do every Monday, just going up on uh, who is, who's going up, who's going down after the week four matchup here. And first of all, stock down. The offensive line had no answers for Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett. And we talked about with the offensive line. We said this is we said last week, I said on the podcast, this is a tough matchup against Cleveland. Garrett and Clowney are two good pass rushers. You are going to have to keep Kirk upright if you want to have win this game. And guess what? They couldn't. Uh, the Vikings gave up 29 pressures yesterday. 29. 
Kirk Cousins was pressured on 22 of 41 dropbacks. And for perspective on how important that is, and this is all, uh, the pressure stats are from PFF, but this is, uh, Phil Mackey put it on Twitter uh, this morning. Clean pocket, 74% completion percentage, averaging over 8 yards a completion, or an attempt, I should say. When he's pressured, he has a 32% completion percentage and only 2.5 yards per attempt. That's a big difference. That is a giant difference when you can keep him upright. And I know, like, obviously, it's if you can't keep your quarterback up, you're not going to win the game, whatever. But especially for Kirk Cousins, for a guy like Lamar Jackson, for a guy like even Aaron Rodgers, uh, having a good pocket is nice. But even when the offensive line is playing bad, they can still move around. They can still find ways to try and win. And the problem with Kirk Cousins is he's just never been able to do that. And we'll get to the problems with Cousins in a second. Because the Cousins defenders, the Cousins apologists, are a small but very, very loyal and dedicated group in the Vikings fan base. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, it's just a blanket Cousins sucks. I'm saying these are the flaws of Kirk Cousins, and you need to acknowledge them, and you need to say, what can Kirk do better? Because you can't just say, the offensive line played bad. Because they did. And you have to, I can say that the offensive line played bad. But you know what? Kirk Cousins has to overcome that at some point. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But the the thing with the offensive line is they had a few, for a few good weeks here at the beginning of the season, but they didn't play super tough pass fronts. I mean, they played J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones, but, I mean, I just don't know. Besides a week one game where Chandler Jones had five sacks or whatever it was, I mean, it's pretty tough to say that they've been lighting the world on fire, but they haven't faced too tough of defenses, and they've been fine. But they allowed uh, the offensive line yesterday, they allowed a couple sacks, they were just letting Kirk Cousins get pressured all the time. They played bad. They're a group that needed to play well, especially on the tackles. Rashad Hill, again, is a he's a fine swing tackle. He's a fine backup. He's okay if you need him to start a couple games. But when you're expecting Rashad Hill to be your full-time starter, things aren't going to go well. Rashad Hill is one of the worst Vikings offensive linemen, according to Pro Football Focus. He is, I mean, and it's not to say he's a bad player. I actually like Rashad Hill as a backup. But I don't like Rashad Hill as this long-term starter, and I know that that wasn't the plan. They probably hoped that Derisaw would be starting by now. But, again, that just hasn't worked out for you. And, again, we'll talk about this in a second. The point is, stock down, offensive line, they've played bad. All right, let's get some positivity here. Stock up. K.J. Osborne. I know he didn't have the gi a ginormous game. He only had about three catches for 26 yards. But he still has had a really good season so far. He's had one touchdown, and he's averaging about 13 yards per reception, which is really good uh, for a wide receiver three like K.J. Osborne. He's come in. He's completely won the job out of training camp. He He's going to be the wide receiver three going forward. I mean, he will, he will be, and that's good. That's good that the Vikings have stumbled onto it, and they wouldn't have. If Irv Smith wouldn't have gotten hurt, they would have went in more two tight end sets, and and the hope is that when Irv Smith comes back, you say, hey, we can do more with three wide sets and a good pass-catching tight end. That's four pass-catching options, plus Dalvin Cook. Your offense has weapons, You and K.J. Osborne doesn't have to be great. He just has to be good. That's the thing. He doesn't have to be an Adam Thielen. He doesn't have to be a Stephon Diggs. He doesn't have to, you know, in terms of late-round guys coming out of nowhere, he just has to be a guy. 
And being a guy is fine sometimes. He's a guy who can make a play every once in a while in that Jerry's right role. Jerry's right wasn't going to light the world on fire most weeks, but you know what? When you needed a catch, he could come in and get you one when your top two guys were being covered. And that's what K.J. Osborne can do. He's he's came out of nowhere. He's played great, and it's a good story. Stock up, K.J. Osborne. Good to see him succeed. Stock down, again, uh, we're going to the run defense, which is a big reason why the Vikings lost yesterday. When both of your lines are playing as poor as they were yesterday, the offensive line playing terrible, and in terms of sacks, the Vikings got a couple on Baker Mayfield, but the run defense was putrid. It was awful. They gave up 184 yards. Granted, it's the best running back tandem in the NFL in Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, but it's still a it's you still got embarrassed in that. And when a defensive-minded head coach, when Alvin Kamara rushed for six touchdowns on Christmas Day, Mike Zimmer basically said to himself that this defense is going to get better. I'm going to try and will this defense to get better. And by bringing in all those additions, we'll talk about that in a second. The thing is, though, the run defense is ranked 25th in the NFL. The run defense is ranked 25th, and they're giving up 135.5 yards per game. That isn't. That's nowhere near where Zimmer wants it to be. Even if it was like 15th, he would say, eh, it's not great, but it's respectable. It is nowhere near. It is towards the bottom of the league, and that's the thing. When you have a run defense, the team runs all up and down the field. They control the clock. They keep your defense on the field. They get them tired. They bang them up, which is something that Zimmer, obviously a defensive guy, understands. And in his offensive philosophy, it's the flip side where he wants the running back to run the ball. He wants to keep the opposing defense on the field because he knows keeping the defense on the field longer means more opportunities to screw up. Zimmer knows that this run defense needs to get better. He knows why it needs to get better. Now, if he can improve on that, we'll see. And again, we'll talk about more of the defense in a second here. But again, the run defense, stock down. They've been playing terrible. And lastly here, stock up. Cam Dantzler, he came into relief for Bashad Breland, and because Breland has just been getting picked on. He got picked on early in the game yesterday. It looked like uh, there was a play. He gave up a big first down where it looked like he just didn't even cover a guy. It looked like him and Xavier Woods were covering the same guy. Xavier Woods kind of pointed at him after the play like you were not in the right spot at all. And ever since then, uh, Dantzler came in. Dantzler, of course, like in coverage, he had a, a couple nice plays covering Odell Beckham. He didn't have like a flashy game. He didn't shut anybody down. But he'll he the one thing about him is it's kind of that Trey Waynes. Well, he struggles in pass coverage sometimes. You know, he's got to figure it out a little bit. But he runs up and makes nice tackles. And that, at least as a defensive guy, Zimmer should appreciate. Is that like, you know what? Even if this guy gets beat on a 20-yard play, the very next one, he's running up to the line of scrimmage because that running back's coming to the sideline. He is going to play. He tackles hard, which is a big sign. If your cornerbacks tackle, it means it's a good sign that your guy's playing hard on the field. So Dantzler, he was a guy that was frustrated with his lack of getting reps. He was inactive week one, tweeted out his frustrations last week. He's a guy that's going to get some opportunities if Zimmer continues to ride with him, and he's got to make the most of it because this could be his last chance to prove that he's a, a quality NFL starting quarterback with the Minnesota Vikings. All right, now that has been stock up, stock down. Now let's take a look here. Again, 3-3 three and three has to be the Vikings' best chance by the bye week. Uh, they have Detroit next week. That should be an easy win. That should be a good get-right game. Your team goes to 2-3, and three, and then you go at Carolina on the road, they're a good team, but they're beatable. You can do stuff against Sam Darnold. You can beat them. Uh, there's, they're a beatable team. They're not 
obviously they're not perfect. They started uh, three and one or whatever it is, but you should be able to beat them. Don't worry. So if they could go three and three by the bye week, they're safe. Now I know that after this loss, it seems like I'm all ragging on the Vikings, but they still have a chance to turn things around and be three and three. If you're three and three at the bye week, things kind of open up for you and your uh, season slopes up because Cowboys Sunday Night Football. They look like a pretty tough team, but you play them at U.S. Bank Stadium, so that's a plus. And then you have the Ravens on the road, the Chargers on the road, the Packers at 49ers. All tough teams, but 49ers, keep in mind, Jimmy Garoppolo is hurt. Who knows how long he's going to be hurt if you're playing a rookie in Trey Lance. Um, maybe that's – now, who knows if that's better or not, but keep in mind, Jimmy G carved up the Vikings uh, a couple, uh, twice a couple seasons ago. or I believe it was twice uh, a couple seasons ago. The point is – uh, Jimmy G can carve up this Vikings defense. Uh, so who knows? Maybe Trey Lance is different. Uh, the Lions, again, Steelers, Bears, Rams, whatever. There's no team that's an absolute L based on the Rams getting beat by Arizona on the uh, on their own field. But it's definitely – you. there's no guaranteed wins either outside of the Lions. So you really, the rest of the way, need to make sure that you can win some games. And they will. But they need to be three and three by the bye week if they have any chance. If they are two and four at the bye week, I'm sorry, they're gonna hope to finish eight and eight. Not with the schedule they have in front of them. Last year they had a pretty generous middle part of the schedule, but this year they don't have that. So now I want to dig into the big three, and then we'll wrap up our our Vikings talk here because I don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about it. Digging into the big three of the Vikings, Kirk Cousins. Let's start with him. Let's start with the quarterback. Um, and I don't want to make this seem like I'm anti-Kirk. I'm Fair weather on Kirk. And in that sense, not to say that I'm a flip-flopper, but to say in the sense of you have to just call balls and strikes with Kirk Cousins. Sometimes he has a good game. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he plays good and the team plays bad. Sometimes the team plays good and he plays bad. It You have to kind of pick and choose because it's not every week where the offensive line like Kirk down, the play calling like Kirk down, the wide receivers like Kirk down, Zimmer like Kirk down, the defense, whatever. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. And here's the thing with Kirk Cousins, is it always keeps coming back to this. You have to just beat a team, a good team, a team with a winning record, when things aren't going your way. Until that happens, and you do that consistently, you're going to have, these questions are still going to rise. The questions about Kirk Cousins being a franchise quarterback are never going to go away, unless he could do that. If he could go on a run where he beats Green Bay at Lambeau, and he beats you know, goes to Chicago, wins at Soldier Field, if he goes into San Francisco and beats them, all, you know, doesn't even have to be handily, just wins, he'll earn a little bit more respect for that. But it keeps coming back to that he can't consistently beat teams with winning records, especially when the game's not going his way. There's just some games with Kirk where you look and you say, I just don't, Kirk Cousins, I just don't think he can make a play on it. That's the problem with Kirk Cousins. And it's a, is it a bit of a nitpick? Sure, but when you're getting paid next year, he's going to be paid $45 million. When you're getting paid that much to be the franchise QB and the presumption when you were signed is that you were a quarterback that could put this team over the top to win a Super Bowl, you know what quarterbacks who put their teams over the top do? They look like Patrick Mahomes. They look like Aaron Rodgers. They look like Tom Brady. I mean, look at Tom Brady last night. Yesterday, Tom Brady was playing in the slop. He was playing in a hostile environment. He was playing against his old head coach a lot on the line. You know what he did? He didn't have a great game. I mean, he didn't like the he didn't look awful, but he wasn't 
throwing for 300 yards. He wasn't getting open guys all the time. There were bad passes. There were times the offense didn't look out of sync. He was overthrowing guys. It was hard to throw the ball in the rain. But you know what? On the final drive, he found a way to win the game. It's crazy that when things are against you, you're still allowed to win the game. Just because you ever have that where sometimes you like have a bad day, but you, they, you still find something good to happen. There are still things where that can happen. Kirk Cousins is not given an excuse just because some of his teammates didn't play well that day. That does not give him an excuse to not win the game. And I know that I'm not saying that Kirk's making that excuse. I'm saying that Kirk fans are making that excuse. He needs to win a game. He needs to find a way to just win a game when the team isn't when the team isn't playing well. Yeah, they beat Seattle last week. The defense tightened up. Dalvin, or Alexander Madison was running everywhere. The play calling was great. Kirk Cousins needs to win a game when the play calling isn't great. Kirk Cousins needs to win a game when Dalvin Cook rushes for 30 yards all game like he did yesterday. He needs to find a way to win when the run defense gives up 184 yards. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean he's going to do it every time. But that's the thing. He, Outside of the playoff game at New Orleans, when has he done that? And even then, the defense played a great game holding Drew Brees because of a great defensive game plan by Zimmer. I don't know. That's the biggest thing with him. Now, moving on to Mike Zimmer, this is why you can't buy your way to a good defense. Remember, they signed Dalvin Tomlinson, and they brought back in Sheldon Richardson, and they brought in Nick Vigil, they brought in Xavier Woods, they brought in Patrick Peterson. Mackenzie Alexander, I don't really count because he's already been with this defense, but Brashad Breland, everybody was like, oh, this Vikings defense is going to be good because look at all these additions, look at all this stuff. The problem is... You can't buy your way to a Super Bowl. John Elway learned this a little bit with Denver because he would bring in all these free agents, but you know what was the glue that kept the team together? It was Peyton Manning. The free agent signings were just pieces to put them over the top. Zimmer is trying to use these free agent signings as the glue. The problem is with glue, you have to put them in and you have to set them in and you have to let them bond over time with what you're trying to stick them together with. This defense has no time to play together. This defense has no time to learn how to play with each other, the little things. We talked about it a little bit last week, but this is the fruits of it. Zimmer rushed because he's fighting for his job. Zimmer rushed to put another good defense on the field, and now when it's subpar, you're seeing the effects of it. This is why you need to take the time like you did the first time. You need to lay down some draft picks, some of which were there before he got there in Xavier Rhodes and Harrison Smith and Everson Griffin. Some of these pieces were there before he got there. He took them to a new level, but he also brought in Linval Joseph on a free agent signing as one player. But even then, the Vikings defense, he came in 2014. He didn't. The Vikings defense wasn't their peak until 2016, 2017, a little bit of 2018. It takes time to build like it takes time to build a good offense. It takes time to build a good defense too. You can't fantasy football your way into making a good defense, even though it's talented, they don't know how to play together, which was the biggest strength of the Vikings defense in 2017. They all played together for years. They were all talented, but they all knew what each other was going to do. They all knew the system. They all just knew everything. Now the Vikings defense improves. I'm still saying that there's room for improvement, but to say that they have been good to say that it's a good idea to build your teams through free agency. Belichick's learning that out. He brought signed a bunch of free agents last year to mixed results. You can't build your team through free agency. 
You build your team through the draft, and free agency is the icing on the cake, and Zimmer's learning that the hard way. Lastly, we have Rick Spielman, who we are going to look at into the big three here. Rick, you've had 10 years to put together some kind of competent lineman. You've had multiple coaches. You were here during the Childress era. You were here during the Leslie Frazier era, where you were the full-time GM. Childress had more roster personnel control, but you were the full-time GM when Frazier was here. You have been the full-time GM with Zimmer. Why the fact that it has taken so long and we still haven't had a competent offensive line? There have been some good players that have come through. Steve Hutchinson, Brian O'Neill, Riley Reef's first year. Riley Reef overall was fine. But, I mean, outside of a few players, there was the Matt Khalil draft pick. There was deciding to put in TJ Clemmings. At all in all these important spots, there was just everything about building the offensive line. Drafting Christian Derisaw, I don't think is a bad pick, and nobody knew his injury history. That was kind of hidden from the Vikings, but it still hasn't gone well in terms of Rick Spielman building an offensive line. So it's taken ten years, and we haven't gotten anything. It's never looked the offensive line has never been a strength of the team in the decade almost, that Spielman has been in charge of this team. It's been a decade, fully in charge. And that falls on the head coach because when you have games, when you have as poor of games as your offensive line had yesterday, I mean, when both of the lines played as bad as they did, and the defensive line falls on the head coach, the offensive line falls on the GM. All three, the quarterback, the head coach, and the GM, are to blame for yesterday's loss. They all had reasons for it, and I'm not surprised when they lose when they make the decisions that they did. And I like all three to different extents. I don't, like, in a perfect world, I would be okay keeping all three in a way, mainly Zim and Rick, but they, they're flawed. They have flaws. Every coach, GM, quarterback does, but these ones, the Vikings' flaws are glaring, and they are the reasons why they're 1-3 and three so far. All right, well, that does it for our Vikings look here. Let's dive into the Minnesota Twins quickly um, with Byron Buxton. Was this his last game as a Minnesota Twin? And we talked about last week that it could have been Byron Buxton's last game at Target Field. And we're talking about now the season's over. Byron Buxton, again, continued to shred the ball, ripping doubles and home runs over the last series. And what more can I say other than he better dang well be putting on a Twins uniform to start next season because he's too talented of a player to just trade away because you're worried about the injury history. Re-sign him. He will sign. You will be able to pay the number. I swear. You will be able to. It will not limit your franchise for the foreseeable future, even if the signing doesn't go as well as it should. Because the Donaldson contract will be off the books in a couple years, and you'll have that gone. He's already two years into a prob into a four-year deal with a fifth-year option, so you're already two years in. You can eat a couple years where you're supposed to be competing anyways. So unless you're shelling out all that money for something else, which we'll touch on in a second, Byron Buxton this season. I want to point this out because keep in mind in 2020 and 2017, Byron Buxton got MVP votes. And those are the two seasons where, compared to the number of games played that year, he's stayed the most healthy. Byron Buxton, when healthy, 
is an MVP candidate. He's one of the best players in baseball. He's one of the most dynamic center fielders in baseball. You can make the case he's the best fielding center fielder in baseball with the amount of ground he's able to cover. But Byron Buxton this season, now that it's all said and done, 19 home runs. And he only played in 61 games. Keep in mind he had 16 home runs in 2017 where he played 140. He also had 13 home runs last season when he played 39 games. He had a war of, according to fan graphs, of 4.1. And he only played for, I mean, he only played for what? About a quarter of the season? About a ha- something like that? He only played for, in realistically, a little over a third of the season. He was able to do all this. He has, uh, he has a weighted on base average of 419. He has a slugging percentage of 646. I could go down the line on his fan graphs page here. But he's been just crushing the ball when he's been in the lineup. The problem has been the health, and I understand that that's the concern. But he's just so dang good. He's so, so good. You have to keep him. You cannot trade him. He's too talented to give up on. And if you're worried about the injury history, just sign another center fielder, a guy who can be a backup. Sign a guy who's Buxton light. And they kind of went after this in terms of the Keon Braxton thing uh, last season. Bring in outfielders who can play center field. Don't throw Max Kepler into center field. Don't throw Nick Gordon into center field. Throw a guy who has center field experience full-time and let him be kind of that backup option. Now, let him play the corners too, but have a guy like that who if Buxton needs to go on the DL or you want to rest him, then you can throw him in. He doesn't even have to be that good. He just has to be competent. He doesn't have to be he doesn't have to be a, you know, over a 1000 OPS player. He can just be a 700 OPS player. As long as he can just come in and hold the fort down while Buxton takes even if he takes time like on the 10-day IL, or if he takes time just resting certain injuries, he can at least hold the fort down. Get a backup center fielder for that. I'm more than okay with that. But here's the thing. The Twins were listening on a lot of guys during the deadline, and Buxton was one of them. And they traded Barrios. I know they they said that they weren't expecting to, but they got blown away, and they got offered two top five prospects of one of the best farm systems in baseball. A guy who the Twins now is the number two prospect in their farm system, which also has some good talent. So they'll listen. They will listen to offers on Byron Buxton. I'm convinced of that. Whether they actually pull the trigger, it remains to be seen. But keep in mind, who knows how much leverage the Twins really have right now in terms of coercing teams for more. Because in the offseason, teams are going to go after different options. Teams are going to go into the free agent market. Teams can trade with other teams. The trade deadline, it's a little bit harder because of the clock. The manufactured clock puts pressure on certain teams to make a move. This is the baseball offseason. There is no clock whatsoever to the detriment of it. So they really have to decide how they're going to play it. Do not trade Byron Buxton. That is my thing. Keep him this year. If you can't sign him to a contract extension, trade him at the deadline, maybe. But even then, you just you have to try and keep Byron Buxton. I, you just know he's going to go to another team, and you know he's going to light it up. And we've all had that thing talked about with Kenny's Vargas and 
you know, name players down the line who have left the team and they said that's going to be the next big poppy. And they haven't been. But you know who will be? Byron Buxton. He will be more dynamic than Big Poppy if he leaves. Keep him in a Twins uniform. You can afford him because of the way that you structure his contract. Give him 20 to $25 million and then give him the incentives on top of it. Make him earn it. Make him earn that $30 million a year. But he can earn it. And you know what? If he plays to the ceiling, he can. He's worth Bryce Harper money. If he can play to the ceiling that he can, he's worth Manny Machado money. He's worth Mike Trout money. Maybe not the exact figure, but he's worth being in that ballpark, being in that tier of players. He doesn't deserve to be making as much or more, but he deserves to be making $5 million less. He deserves to be making $3 million less. He's that talented of a player when he plays at his peak. So looking at the top three positions now the Twins need to address in the offseason is pitching, starters and bullpen, obviously. That one's a no-brainer. We all know how bad they are. We'll break down some more potential options and what they can do as we get into the offseason. But in just a gut level, okay, last day of the season, or the regular season was yesterday. How do we go forward now for 2022? Pitching, starters, and bullpen. You need to revamp the bullpen again because last year's didn't work. Starters, you obviously lost Barrios. You're going to lose Maeda for a lot of next season. So you need to figure out how you're going to do that. You could lose Pineda to free agency. You have a lot of holes in your pitching staff that you need to figure out how to fill for the second year in a row. They failed last year. We'll see how they do in year number two, trying it. DH, Nelson Cruz, gone. Unless you bring him back during the offseason, which I'm okay with, uh, you got to figure out what you're going to do. Is it Donaldson? Is it Sano? Is it Rooker? Do you bring in a veteran? Do you kind of just go DH by committee like Paul Molitor did in 2017? What do you do with it? DH is another one to figure out. Shortstop. Uh, obviously because Antrelton Simmons isn't coming back because Royce Lewis hurt his ACL. He's not going to be able to start in the majors next year because he hasn't never had a triple-A at bat. There's no way the Twins are going to take him right into the majors coming off of knee surgery, coming off of not having played in a minor league game in 2019, which will have been three years. So it'll be a big deal uh, for Royce Lewis to come back, which is why they're not going to rush him into play shortstop. Austin Martin isn't ready to come in and play shortstop yet. He'll probably start the season in triple-A or double-A and then move into triple-A and have the chance to get to the majors at some point. But it is still a long way to go in terms of the prospects getting up there. It's a very deep shortstop class. And here's the thing. it's very t- The reason it's deep is because it's so top-heavy. This is the best shortstop class maybe ever. When you look at Carlos Correa, when you look at Seager, or uh, when you look at Trey Turner, there's just so much with this free agent shortstop class that it makes the middle of the pack guys who would get normally pretty good deals. They're all getting kicked to the curb because everybody's chasing after the top dogs and they're waiting for the top dogs to set the market before they look for teams. And one of the top guys obviously is Carlos Correa. He went a pick before Buxton in 2012. He was the number one overall pick. And there was a tweet from John Heyman last week on Friday we kind of mentioned it but we really didn't get a chance to uh really didn't get a chance to break it down and talk a lot about it uh just because of how the timing was with some other twins topics we had over the weekend but John Heyman made a tweet that basically said the tw- uh, the Tigers were one of the teams that was in on uh Carlos Correa they're one of the teams expected to be heavily pursuing him 
keep in mind because again AJ Hinch the manager of the Tigers is the manager of or the was the manager of the Astros but John Heyman also tweeted that the Twins are a potential team that could be in the mix which is interesting and John Heyman wouldn't tweet that out there this early if there wasn't any kind of smoke to that fire keep in mind the Twins are willing to go out and spend money on Zach Wheeler he chose the Phillies because his wife wanted to stay in Philadelphia whatever the Twins were in the mix for Hugh Darvish. He, the, twin, the Cubs had deeper pockets to give an extra year. Whatever. Carlos Correa, they signed Josh Donaldson, keep in mind, too. They actually signed him. So the Twins are willing to shell out money in certain situations. They're willing to at least sit at the table. It's not the Terry Ryan, aw shucks, well, we just can't compete with that kind of thing. The Twins are willing to at least try and sit down at the table and see if maybe they could come to a number. Do I think it's plausible? No. Do I think it's going to happen? No. But it's interesting to watch to see how aggressive the Twins are, because that could set the tone for other acquisitions, whether it's shortstop or pitching or what have you. So it'd be fun to think about Carlos Correa coming to fill that hole. The only problem is, would he... He would fill the shortstop hole for next season, obviously, or a player like Correa. You know, a very top-end shortstop talent. But then what do you do after that? Because Carlos Correa isn't taking a one-year contract. He's getting his 10-year deal. He's getting paid. Carlos Correa is out here to get money uh, and to be set for life. So does that mean you move Royce Lewis or Austin Martin? Keep in mind, there are players, a lot of players are shortstops in the minor leagues, and then they kind of move to a different position. Maybe, maybe, you trade Buxton, you move uh, Austin Martin or Royce Lewis, both of whom have time in center field. Maybe they become your center fielder. Maybe you groom one of them to be a third baseman for when Josh Donaldson gets too old and has to become just maybe a more full-time DH. Maybe you move one of them to the corner spots. Maybe you, you know, there's a couple different ways you can move them around. Maybe one of them becomes a corner outfielder. There's some different ways that you could go about that, but the thing, or, or is it, again, we talked about before, if they trade Buxton, it's not just, okay, they have a guy to fill that spot, but it's, okay, we'll trade Buxton, but to make the, to appease the fan base, we're going after Carlos Correa. Because the money that we are going to use, that we thought about using to re-sign Buxton, we're going to move it over, and we're going to pay Carlos Correa with it. Is that an option? Maybe. Again, do I think it's possible? No. Do I think it's just easier to sign Buxton? Keep your homegrown talent? Yes. But keep in mind... Byron Buxton isn't a homegrown talent with Falvey and Levine. Buxton made his debut when Terry Ryan was still the GM. Buxton was in his third season, or at least his third season of playing Major League Baseball, by the time Falvey and Levine took over. So, he wasn't a homegrown talent in terms of Falvey and Levine. Maybe they want more of their own guys in there. Who knows? But, this Twins offseason is going to be interesting because, as Falvey said last week, they think they can compete next season. They're not rebuilding for 2023, at least is what they said now. We'll see, now, of course, how truthful are they? we got to find out. going to be an interesting offseason looking at that. All right, let's talk quickly here about the Minnesota Timberwolves as they get ready for preseason game number one tonight. And they, well, here's some things to look for. What are some things to watch? How do they look on defense now? They have a full season under Finch. A full offseason, I should say. 
So they're going to start the full the first full season with Chris Finch as head coach. How do they look with a full off season under him? Apparently they've been working on the defense a lot, which is something Finch has struggled with. And as some of the assistant coaches that he brought over when he was fully hiring his staff, it was important to try and find those defensive coaches because that was Finch just he's an offensive guy. He doesn't quite he's not quite a guru when it comes to defense. Need more coaches who could help that. Josh Okoge said today, according to Dane Moore on Twitter, that they've been focusing on all defense so far in camp. That it has been defense, defense, defense. You're only allowed to score if you're on defense. It has been hammered home because we know this team has offensive playmakers, but if they could just get a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to win some games. And so it'll be interesting to see how they look off or defensively, how they look in being engaged. A lot of defense in the NBA is just being engaged and being in the right spots and wanting to be in the right spots. These guys are talented enough to play good defense. It's Are they willing to put themselves in the right spot? So we'll see how that goes tonight. Patrick Beverly's impact. This is his first time on the court in a game. First really extended action. We'll get to see with Pat Beverly on this Wolves roster. See how he is with his teammates. See how it is early on. That chemistry, is it kind of still a work in progress? Is it, you know, starting off great? We'll just see what happens with Patrick Beverly now on the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, of course, uh, Anthony Edwards, because he's just fun to watch in general. But it's going to be interesting to see how he's been playing, because keep in mind, they've been doing a lot of defensive stuff. Chris Finch says Ant has been looking really, really great on defense. He's been a monster, is what he said. He grew two inches. He's been developing more physically. Keep in mind, he's only 19, 20 years old. I believe he's 20. So... He's been a monster on defense and practice so far. It'll be interesting to see how he looks tonight, especially because they're against New Orleans, seeing how they stack up against that team. It'll be a fun one to watch if you're able just to just – obviously, there's more important things on. It's a preseason game. But if you just kind of are bored or want to just skim through it, those are some, some things to pay attention to with the Wolves. All right, finishing up here with the Gophers. Uh, first of all, it was a good day because they won, and then Wisconsin lost, so it's always a good day when that happens. P.J. Fleck gets his first win when losing at halftime. He's now 1-19 or whatever the record is. Uh, so he gets that crossed off the list. We talked about that last week. Uh, this was, See what happens when you put more trust in Tanner Morgan. Obviously, it was a rainy game, so it was really hard to get the passing game going from that perspective. Chris Ottman-Bell really kind of uh, concerned me a little bit with how many drops he had. It looked like he straight up just forgot how to catch the ball at certain points in the game. Like he just forgot how to become a wide receiver. And that's not good, especially when P.J. Fleck, so far in Minnesota, his calling card has been getting the most out of wide receivers. So Chris Ottman-Bell hasn't been good, but see what happens when you trust Tanner Morgan a little bit more. He can make the plays. Don't make him throw only 11 times a game. Do better. Uh, the defense looked good again. Obviously, it's been against bad offenses in terms of Purdue, in terms of Bowling Green and Miami of Ohio. But against Colorado, they looked really good. And granted, their, D, their offense is one of the worst in the country. But still, they've been shutting teams down. Like the teams that have been bad, they've been shutting them down. That's been good. And this bye week now that the Govers have had gives them time to work through some of these offensive bugs that they've had and get healthy and get ready to go and have an extra week to prepare for a Nebraska team that's kind of heating up. They gave up zero first downs in the second half against Michigan State a couple weeks ago. They played Northwestern over the weekend and absolutely destroyed them. And Northwestern is not any good this year, but it's a show that they're getting confidence. 
They're three and two on the season, which isn't good, but they're getting confidence at this point in the year. They are Nebraska, and I've kind of beaten up on them a little bit because they've been funny because of how how important they take themselves and how bad they've been playing so far this season. But they've been starting to heat up a little bit. They're starting to get some good football, especially on the defensive side. So when you play them in a couple weeks, you need to make sure that you're on top of your game because they are going to be ready to go. You're probably playing them at the hottest time of the season. So if you want to end that momentum, if you want to prove that you're the better team, it's a good thing that you have a couple weeks to prepare for that. All right, well, that'll do it here for this installment of the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We'll be back here tomorrow breaking down more Minnesota sports action. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.